0: One of the subtle and yet effective way by which Hollywood has managed to marred the image of God was by marring the image of the father in the home. For the past 20 years, every sitcom have persistently presented the image of a father in the home as a bumbling idiot, clueless, disposable and replaceable, unloving, uninvolved, a sperm donor, insecure and helpless, of equal or less value than the family pet. These are all from sitcoms that I've been airing in the last 20 years. And the tragedy is this. As children sit back and laugh heartily at the foibles of Homer Simpson. They are subconsciously growing up viewing their own father that way. They grow up with a distorted image of fatherhood, and therefore they grow up with a distorted image of God, our Father. Now, if you don't believe me, just listen to this. The Reader's Digest surveyed three- and four-year-olds, and they asked the question, who would you rather give up, television or your daddy? Thirty-three percent of those kids said, daddy. U.S. News and World Report followed with another major survey of 1,200 people. Forty-nine percent of these claimed that their father was still living, and of them, seven percent said that their mother is their best friend, and zero percent said the father is their best friend. It's a secular statistic, huh? it has nothing to do with Christianity. But here's the biblical fact, and you need to understand, as I need to understand, that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who came to tell us and reveal to us what God the Father is like, He said, God is a father to everyone who would come and take the Son as the Savior of the life. He's the Father. And the story that we call the parodical son is all about the Father. It's about the heart of the Father. It is about the character of the Father. It is about the loving characteristics of the Father. And Jesus wanted us to know what His Father, with whom He coexisted before the creation of the universe. He wanted us to know what His Father is like, so He tells us this story. He wanted us to comprehend and take in, deep into our hearts, deep into our minds, what the Father is like, what the nature of the all-powerful and the almighty God, whom we call our heavenly Father, is like. And so He begins the story by saying there was a father. And this is the focus. (laughs) Please listen carefully. Whether you and I have had or do have good fathers or not so good fathers, that's beside the point. Whether you and I have had harsh fathers or kind fathers, that's beside the issue. Whether you and I have had or have adorable fathers or abusive fathers, that's beside the issue. Jesus wants us to know what God the Father is like. Jesus is saying that this is what the Father in heaven is like. And therefore, listen to me, any and every sound teaching and preaching and thinking must begin with the Father. It must begin with the Father. It must start with the Father. It must focus on the Father. Why? Because when God the Father is my primary focus, it is your primary focus, me and my needs, you and your needs are going to be met in His glory and in His riches. But listen to me. Of all modern history, or perhaps of all history, There has not been a more self-focused generation like this generation. When the focus is me and my needs, it's like drinking salty water. And when you drink salty water, the more you drink it, the more thirsty you become. And the more you drink it, the more thirsty you become. Nothing is quenching that thirst. And thus... We as a nation and as a civilization have created a multi-multi-billion-dollar industry of people dependent on those who can talk to them about them and their needs, and them and their needs, and them and their needs. There are whole churches that are focused entirely on me and my needs, and it's a vicious cycle. The more they drink the salty water, the more they want it, and the more dependent they become not on God but on others. The word in Hebrew, Abba, is such a rich word, it's such a powerful word, is a word that is so filled with emotions, it's so comprehensive that I am personally convinced that we will never comprehend it completely until we see our Heavenly Father in heaven face to face. And that is why. It was so important for Jesus to let you and me and every subsequent generation from His time on to know what His Father is like. There was such a distorted image of the Father even in His time that He is trying to set the record straight. And He wants us to know how God feels when one of His children willfully and deliberately goes his or her own way. He wants us to know how God the Father feels when one of His children lives through their lives as if God the Father doesn't exist. He wants us to know how He feels when one of His children takes all of the blessings and all of the resources from the hand of the Father and they totally ignore Him. He wants us to know how the father feels when one of his children does not even think of coming to him unless they become desperate and they really need something. When his children live their lives indifferent toward him. And that's what he tells us in the example of the younger boy in the story. But we also see how the father feels when... Some of His children live a life that's on the surface, focused on the rituals, tradition. They may even go to church. They may even sing in the choir. They are in the house. But their heart is in the far country, as we see in the story of the older boy, because his heart was in the far country. This is the third in the series of messages, the God who pursues us. And uh, we saw first the story of the lost sheep. Then we saw the story of the lost coin, or the engagement ring, as I explained to you what the coin is all about. And here He tells us about the story of two lost sons, <laughs> just like the sheep and the coin. One son was lost in the far country, the other son was lost right in the home. But there's something very, 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 very very, how many varies are these? Very important. I don't want you to miss. And it is this: When the sheep wandered in the wilderness in foolishness, the shepherd went after him and did not rest until he carried him on his shoulder and brought him all the way home. And when the woman lost her and get part of her engagement ring, that coin. That was in the simdi that she wore at her engagement. When she lost that coin as a result of negligence, as a result of carelessness, she searched diligently until she found the lost coin. But here, in this story, when the son deliberately and willfully and premeditatedly Left home, the father waited for him in the house. I'm going to say some more about that. But it's very important for you to get that. It's very, very important. It's part of the whole picture. But in order to comprehend how miserable an act that this young boy has committed, in order to just get it and really comprehend the depth of the hurtful feelings on the part of the father, you have to understand that in the Middle Eastern culture, but particularly at the time of Jesus… It would be unthinkable for a boy to come to his father and ask for part of his estate. It would be unthinkable. Because when the child is asking for that part of the estate, he's basically saying, whether he articulated it or not, whether he verbalized it or not, he's basically saying, Father, I wish you were dead. Hurry up and die so I can get my hand on the estate. Can you imagine how hurtful that is? Can you imagine how painful that is? Oh, but listen. Think about how many people, how many people who may never entertain the thought that they wish the God in heaven be dead. They may never articulate the thought that they wish the Heavenly Father was dead. They will never say it. They will never think it. And yet, they live their lives as if God is dead you say, Michael, wait a minute, this is too strong, this is too harsh. What do you mean? I would never do that. Well, when you go home, I want you to look at your calendar and find out exactly how much of your calendar does God occupy. Check your checkbook. Find out how much of that God occupies, and He gives you everything to begin with. Go and list your priorities in life and find out where does God fit in in your priorities of life. People are living as if God is dead. You say, but that's different. Not at all. Subconsciously, so many people take all of the resources and all of the blessings and all of the good things that come from the hand of God, and they spend it on themselves. But there's something else here that I don't want you to miss. You need to understand to see the reaction of the Pharisees and the scribes to whom Jesus was speaking. I mean, they must have absolutely had shocked faces. They must have had their mouths open and their eyes wide open because they could not believe what they just heard. Let me explain it in context. If a kid back then came to his father and said, give me the part of your estate that I would have inherited when you die, You know about the only thing that this kid is gonna see with the back of the hand. I got a few of those. (laughs) What we thought was normal. (laughs) Never thought anything about it. I never one time got it. I didn't think I deserved it. (laughs) When people talk about how discipline warps your personality, I tell people, I said it warped certain part of my anatomy, but not my personality. And these people who were listening to Jesus at the time were absolutely mesmerized. I mean, like, they were saying, huh? <laughs> Are you kidding us? The Father did what? Are you for real? Is that really true? But it gets more hilarious than that. <laughs> According to the Old Testament laws of inheritance that you find in Deuteronomy twenty-one seventeen, the older boy inherits two-thirds of the estate. And the younger boy would have inherited one-third, not half-half. Because it was understood, and if you read on in the book of Deuteronomy, the older boy was expected to take care of his widowed mother and uh, run the family business. And so he would have inherited two-thirds, according to the Word of God, according to the law of God. But that's after the father dies, not before. Listen to me. What Jesus is deliberately doing here was to impress upon them and upon us how incredibly, how awesomely, how unbelievably, how indescribably, how inexhaustibly the love of God is. And the patience of God, Paul said to the Romans, is supposed to constantly bring us to the point said, God has been so patient with me, I better turn my life over to Him. Not to say, oh, well, you know, God obviously doesn't care. I can run around. I can do whatever I want to do, and God doesn't care. No, 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 no. His love and His patience is long and deep because He wants His patience and His love to draw you and woo to Him. That's why. Hear me out on this one. While the Father is suffering in agony over the Son's rebellion and rejection, he lets him go. He lets him go. He goes with the money. He lets him go. Do you know why? Do you know why? I'm going to tell you why. Because the Father knew that love only has what love lets go of. If you got that, say amen. Well, some of you didn't. So we're going to say it together, okay? Love has... What love lets go of. (laughs) You got it. Someone here is running away with all of God's blessings and living in the far country. You know who you are. I don't. Only you know. And you're totally oblivious to the broken heart of the Father who's waiting for you. He's waiting for you. Come home to the loving arms of the Father. And you can do that today. Someone here today may have somebody in their life that is so blinded with self that they cannot see the pain that they're causing you. Let them go. Let them go. Do you have someone who has betrayed you and falsely accused you, when you've done nothing but love that person, let them go. Why? Because often, most often, it is only in the far country will they come to their senses. Those who are blinded with selfishness will only come to their senses when they become so desperate. What is your far country? What is your far country? Is it an unwholesome relationship? Is it a misplaced priority? Is it blind desire for accumulating for the sake of accumulating? Is it worry and anxiety and fear? Is it inability to trust God with your life, to trust God with your family, to trust God with your future, to trust God with your business, to trust God and you want to take things into your own hands? What is your far country? But remember this, the Father may just let you keep on going and keep on going to your heart's content. But he's hurting as he's waiting. And he's waiting. And he waits patiently. But don't take that patience for granted and commit the sin of presumption. The father in this story, of course, he could have tried to stop the boy. I know people who try to stop the child and they would have probably cried and said, Son, what are you doing? What do you-? No, no, he didn't. He just let him go. Obviously, he could afford a private detective and send him and find out where the boy, every step of his way, and report back to him. He didn't. He could have sent one of his servants and he'd just be there to be available to help. No, 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 no because that way the boy will never come to his senses. Some of you may be in a place where the father was. Your heart is broken in two over someone in your life, and you're going through your own private Gethsemane right now. Your pillows are stained with tears, and you're hurting so much that you can't hurt anymore. Please, please, Listen to the voice of the Father saying to you, I know what you're going through. I experience that pain when one of my children is living for self. Please understand that I experience that same pain when one of my children insists on going his or her own way. Please understand that I experience that same pain when one of my children lives unfaithfully to me. Please understand that I experience the same pain when one of my Children, deny me before men. But let me hasten and hurry up to tell you about the father's reaction when his wayward boy came home. That's my favorite part of the story. It really is. And I pray there will be until I see Jesus face to face. It is my favorite part. When a boy finally comes to the point of nowhere else to turn, You have to ask the question, why does it have to get to this point? Our stubborn nature. Our stubborn nature. That we have to get so desperate before we turn to God. And finally, this boy comes to his senses. And the father said to him, You stupid, foolish boy. You caused me all this worry and pain. Ah, you foolish boy. Now you're coming home when you have become desperate. The father said to the boy, you thought you're going to be a big shot in the big city, living the big life. And now look at you. Listen, my boy, you have to earn my forgiveness. You have to work for your keep. You have to grovel and prove that you really mean it. Is that what the father said? Is that what the father said? But listen, that's exactly, exactly what the listeners to Jesus would have done if they were in that situation. It's exactly what they've done as part of the custom of the day, as part of that culture. The boy would have sat outside of the house for about a week, and as the passers by, mock him, make fun of him, and as the passers by, humiliate him as they go by and say nasty things. And when after the villagers have, have had their fun and making fun of the boy, and when the father feels that the boy is sufficiently humiliated, then he would take him home and have him come inside. Ah, oh, but that's not what happened. Because that's not how the heavenly father works. That's not how the heavenly father responds. And that's what he's trying to impress it on, in their heads. It says the Father ran. You know, when you say, well, isn't that sweet? Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that nice? But you've got to understand, my beloved friends, you've got to understand there's, there's a deeper meaning in this. this. This is huge when you understand that in the Middle East culture, particularly in the days of Jesus, men never, 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 never run. They don't run. Only the servants and the slaves and those who are running from the law run. A dignified man, a dignified father is the one in this story. Never, never run. And that is why this is a big part of the story. It's a huge part of the story. Running is a form of humiliation. (laughs) Running is a form of degradation. Can you see the cross here? Can you see the cross here? where the Father humiliated Himself in the Son as He hung on that cross in order that He might die for everyone who would come to Him and ask for His forgiveness. What does the Father in heaven do when a person repents of their sin and come and ask for His forgiveness, when they come under conviction and say, Lord, forgive me, what does the Father do? Oh, He embraces Him as a form of acceptance. He kisses Him as a form of reconciliation. He washes them and cleanses them as an assurance of total forgiveness. He puts on His own robe on Him because He had no robe of His own. The boy had no robe of righteousness and you and I do not, did not have any robes of righteousness, not a single good deed that would have made us acceptable to God the Father. And that is why the Lord Jesus Christ had to put his robe of righteousness on us to be accepted to the Father. That's what he does. You give God praise if you want to give him praise. Some of you here may be in the far country. Will you respond? You've never received Jesus Christ as the Savior of your life and the Lord of your life, and you've never really felt His warm embrace. You never understood what it is to be free of guilt and sin. Today you can come home. You can come home. You've been far away from the security and the peace that only the Father can give. Today you can come home, and you can say, Father, and you know what? Just like the father of the boy, the boy didn't really finish. He prepared his speech, and you know that in the story. He prepared his speech, but he never got to finish it. He never got to finish the speech. He said, Father, I have sinned. And the father said, That's enough. And the father will embrace you. And the father will tenderly forgive you. And the father will bring you home. He'll place a robe, Jesus' righteousness. And then He will call you a daughter and a son, and He will adopt you. And once you're adopted in His family, there is no leaving. Jesus said, those whom the Father has given Me, I lose none. See, it's not up to you. It's up to Him. And He's holding you on those strong arms. Father, in the name of Jesus, I come to You in gratitude and thanksgiving that on that day, you have ran. You did run. You received me. You forgave me. I thank you for the thousands of testimonies in this place and around the world of those who have come to you and received acceptance, forgiveness. And Father, I pray if there's a single person here in this room that have never experienced this incredible indescribable, awesome love and forgiveness. Today will be the day that they will come and be part of this family. For I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Dr. Michael Youssef, recently featured on Leading the Way. If you'd like to know more about us, please visit ltw.org. That's LTW dot org.